let's just get this rendering. And I have officially finished editing the season premiere of Below the Bible Belt. Now, time to just turn on the news for the first time in 48 hours. Now a historic moment. Uh, we can now project the winner of the presidential race. CNN projects Donald Trump wins the presidency. The business tycoon and TV personality capping his improbable political journey with an astounding upset victory. Donald J. Trump will become the 45th president of the United States, defeating Hillary Clinton in a campaign unlike anything we've seen in our Hmm. Hello? What happened? Here it comes! Sorted confessions of two men with nothing in common but an accent. I am James. And I am Ant. And we are back, baby. Yeah. After a good, would you say, two years of silence? I think so. I know I learned much during my time in the mountains. Sojourned. I'm actually not recording this with a microphone. I have astrally projected myself onto the internet itself. While you were busy transferring your consciousness into the internet, I got big into socialism. So, God's a myth. Uh used to sedate the masses, and, uh, you know, turns out these capitalist guys, they're no good. Well, that's running very counter with my whole philosophy, considering I am now the current CEO of Enlightened Co. James Sedicult. Look, look, it's not fair for me to bogart the secrets of the universe. If I've reached a higher plane, why... Should I not give it to the masses at a reasonable price? No loving God would deny me my cut. I look forward to your eventual death by the FBI. Same here, buddy. <laughs> so, a lot has changed for both of us in the couple of months since we last checked in. In some ways, uh, for me, anyway, a lot has changed, but a lot has you know, But in that life, really, James... Alex is actually the leader of the Jehovah's Witnesses now. I knew it. He accepted his destiny. He's become the Grand Taze. But, uh, yeah, so I think as far as changes, you actually went through some big stuff while we were gone. Like, I kind of couldn't believe it. Oh, yeah. Shit got real on my sorry ass very yeah. quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd say about two and a half months ago... I finally stepped out on my own. Dun, dun, dun. You've left the nest, that shitty, shitty, shitty nest. No longer do I live at home with family members. I now live on my own with my cousin. But I am slightly older than he is, so... And not only that, but I feel like cousin is far enough away to where you... you know I mean, it's like your roommates. It's not like, you know, you're... His charge, or you're his, or he's your charge. You know what I mean? Well, as I've mentioned a couple of times on the podcast before, for the past 
gosh, over six years, maybe close to seven now, I've lived with my grandparents, which was a very uh, awkward situation. I don't think I've ever really got into it, have I? You, not on the actual show, you've, you've talked about it, and you've talked about it to me a little bit. Yeah, the way I ended up living with my grandparents was at the age of 18, I was sharing a place with my mother. Uh, my father had just died, and we had just gotten a place together to kind of recuperate in the year that followed that. And as a job, my mother started coming over to my grandmother's house to take care of our great-aunt Mary, who was in poor health and needed somebody to sit with her during the days. And after a couple of months of this, my mom wanted a break and would occasionally send me up to take her place for the weekend. And one week, she didn't come back. And I should say, she was still alive. It's not like she dropped on the face of the earth. We never saw her again. She was just like, no, I don't want to do that anymore. It's like, well, but but I'm over here. It's like, yeah, yeah, you'll be fine. Very, very quickly after that, my mom lost the house that we were staying at. Mm-hmm. So I accidentally ended up living with my grandparents. Kind of sounds like you were sort of slowly abandoned, if that makes sense. About as abandoned as an 18-year-old can be. Yeah, I guess. But still, you were sort of... You, like, you at 18 remind me of myself at 18. If my parents had just said, well, you're on your own now, I would have been, oh, fuck, I don't know what to do. You know what I mean? Well, I think with our generation, things aren't as, our childhoods aren't as severely cut short as they were for previous generations. With our parents, it was, okay, you're 18, get out the fuck out of my house. With us, we kind of have our entire 20s to figure out what the hell we're going to do. Which has its, you know, its pluses and its minuses. I will say, though, as someone who is rapidly approaching 30 and still hasn't fully figured out, it is terrifying when you get to that point, you know what I mean? Oh, believe me, I'm 26 now, so it's coming like a freight train. But yeah, that's what, like, you know, my, uh, both my grandparents never finished high school. And then my great-grandparents, uh, stopped high school because they had to go fight a war, James. <laughs> but yeah, so you ended up sort of being an un... Well, I wouldn't say un, uh, I'm trying to phrase this. An accidental, uh, refugee. Now, t- t- try to lock your borders against me, Trump. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, so. Look, James, all you gotta do is just grab them by the tendons and throw them over that wall. By the way, I realize these references will be so dated by the time this episode comes out. So. <laughs> yeah, that's a weird thought. This episode may, like, depending on how fast I edit this, this may come out after. Well, in Trump's case, in, in Trump winning's case, the world has ended. <laughs> this episode may not come out, people. Here, here's the thing: if it, regardless, and in, in, I don't care who wins at this point. I, I no, I do, but <laughs> it's gotten to the point now where it's like just it, it's over and in once and for all, you know, until fucking 2020. Just I, if you were listening to this and Trump has won the election, you are the revolution. Grab him by the pussy. Exactly. Pussy grabs back 2017. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, uh, after that unfortunate situation, I just sort of found myself accidentally living with my grandparents. And I was able to take care of uh, our grand aunt uh, for her remaining years. And after that, I got a job. For more on this, see Below the Bible World episode, Jobs. And there was a follow-up to that, too. Jobs Part 2. I like to consider this entire podcast just one long examination of my two jobs. <laughs> and after that, I just kind of spun my wheels for the longest time. 
And I'm telling myself that I was I, I was resting for the next great chapter of my life. And then time just got up in a hurry. And suddenly yes. I, I was 26 and still living with my grandparents. That's what so, time will do that to you. Believe me, I went through that firsthand a couple of years ago where after I quit at the radio station in 2009, I was like, you know, I'm young, I'm 21, I have options. And then I sit down on the couch and, fuck, I'm 25, what happened? So this past year, I've been trying to make an effort to really get out on my own and try to find either a roommate or a small place I could move into. I've briefly considered moving in with co-workers. I've considered moving in with near strangers. You were paying rent, right, to your grandparents? Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. One of the big impetuses for me to move out is the last month I was there, I finally tallied up everything I was giving to them, and it was over $1,000. Uh, a month? Yep. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of hurt. You know, it was a pain in the butt because they had, you know, pay toilets set up in the bathroom. <laughs> you know. Everything in the fridge had, like, a you know, price on it. You're not that far off, dude. <laughs> <laughs> So whenever things had gotten uh, their darkest, so to speak, and I'd really realized that the time had come for me to finally get out on my own, uh, they decided they didn't want me staying there anymore. It was like, you know, you can't fire me because I just quit. It, it kind of was. And thankfully, uh, my cousin had just uh, had a parting of ways with his roommate as well. So I was able to very quickly move in with him. Well, let me back it up right quick. Do you know what precipitated their decision? you to leave? Uh, they hated me. Uh, okay. That's a pretty good uh, reason, I guess. Also, uh, my grandmother's husband uh, tried to kill me, but uh, we're not going to talk about that. Do you need help, James? Because in addition to being a former boy detective, I was also a boy bodyguard. I made Whitney used to fall in love with my 12-year-old ass. I was so disappointed by your turn in Waterworld. Anyway, <laughs> thankfully, I was able to move in with my cousin, and... It's kind of a so-so place, uh-huh. but it was it was out of my own, technically. And that week, I was able to get all my stuff in and kind of you know, carve out a little place for myself there. Started going back to work. Everything was going fine. Then a week later, I get home, and I'm immediately greeted by my cousin at the door saying, Yeah, I turned on the light whenever I got home and heard a deafening popping sound. And now everything smells like burning plastic. We can't stay here. What? So there's a fire? Like, did something catch on, actually catch on fire? Or We're still not sure what exactly happened, but for lack of a more technical term, the electrical system fucked up, uh-huh. turning the house into an instant death trap. <laughs> because let me be very clear. This was, like, not a house. This was a very, very shoddy fire trap trailer. Uh-huh. And... Especially around in the area I've grown up in, you don't go a week without hearing a story on the news about a fire trap trailer that had electrical problems and it burned down. So the second we realized that the electrical system was bonkers, we decided we need to get the fuck out of there. And we contacted the landlord and asked her if she was going to be able to send any kind of electrician out or anything. And she thought about it for a minute and then said... Uh, no, no. I think you're just going to have to move. I was going to say, I'm glad to see that your look still remains the same. On the plus side, uh, after we then moved our stuff out, she said that she was looking forward to just turning the power back on and waiting for it to burn down so she could collect the insurance money. Nice. So, for the second time in a week, 
we had to get all of my shit up in garbage bags and move it to a new house, which thankfully we were able to find in just uh, two or three days. And the new place is actually great. It was a step up in the rent, but it's one of the nicer places I've lived. What's your relationship like with your cousin? Uh, we've always been friends. He's a good dude. That's good. Are you like you know you two wild crazy guys hitting the Sims Alabama nightlife now? You got a wingmate? No, not at all. You disappoint. He's kind of the perfect roommate because I never see him. <laughs> there you go. That's my idea of like a perfect neighbor. It's like I come home and go to my room. He comes home and goes to his room. That's our relationship for the most part. It's not bad. Uh, we're, we're like a uh, married couple who just realized things weren't going to work out a long time ago and just decided uh, we were more comfortable together than apart. Well, I got to say, though, I am super proud of you, James Fuller. As someone who's sort of facing sort of similar, well, not, my circumstances aren't the exact same, but I'm sort of at a, a point in life, too, where I'm about doing that, making that big move, and it is scary to think about. Granted, love my parents, but they're not the world's best safety net. <laughs> well, your dad did sell your house for a, a bag of magic beans yesterday. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the kudos. But yeah. it, it's been kind of a weird adjustment emotionally because it feels like I, I've got something that I've wanted for such a very long time. But because it didn't come directly from choices I made and from things I did, it just it's like it, it's almost like it. It's not real in a way like, oh, I didn't accomplish getting this place. I just had the rug pulled out from under me again. And because I was in the right place in the right time, I fell somewhere nice. You can't look at it that way because, you know, opportunity is, you know, a lot of it is chance. I feel like, you know, it's like I was thinking about this other day. What set me on my current path these past years was a bit of chance and good luck. You know, without it, I would be where I was back in like 2013. So... Don't 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 think of it that way. Think of it as you had an opportunity and you were able to make the most of your opportunity. I guess life is just what you make of the individual tragedies it throws at you. I think of the poet Eminem. He said, "You only got one shot. <laughs> Do not miss chance to blow because opportunity comes once in a lifetime. You better lose yourself in the the moment." All right, I need to stop. I don't want to go down Eminem hole again. Well, yeah, it's it's definitely been an adjustment, but I'm. Definitely in a much better place in, like, every sense of the term now. Exactly. So this is the beginning of James 2.0. But we've had my big move since the last episode. Yeah, uh, of the two of us, I can't believe this, but I was actually the first one of the two of us to leave the South. I went up into the dreaded North, James. Tell, tell me, is this finally Maddie Goes to Hollywood? This was Manny Goes to Randolph, Massachusetts. Oh, that's nowhere near as gay. <laughs> yeah, back in August, uh, I uh, went on a road trip to see my girlfriend in Massachusetts. So, in the intervening time since we've been off, she had to go back home. So, she's up there now. The two of us were supposed to go on a trip in at the end of August. It was her first time back home in almost a year. Um, but she went up by herself and went home. So, she's been up there since. So I, and I, then I went... What turned into a trip for the two of us was a trip for me, and I went up there uh, in a rental car. It's 17 hours one way, James. That is a lot of fun, let me tell you. That, that is so many James Elroy audiobooks. And he, here's what sucked. My auxiliary cable was so bad that I couldn't play them. No! I had to listen to the radio. 
No. Now I was. Now I got to say, it was a road trip. Me and two other people, uh, two of my girlfriend's friends, they went up there with me. Which again, like for them, it's dedication to them and you know, the three of them as friends because the three of them went up there. They only stayed one night and then drove back on Saturday. Like Jeez. so, so we left on a Thursday, Thursday afternoon. We got there Friday morning, and they stayed Friday night, and then Saturday afternoon, they drove back down to South Carolina. But the three of us drove up there. My favorite time of the road trip happened in uh, Washington, D.C. We were going past, we were going through D.C. about 2 o'clock in the morning, and we saw the Washington Monument. I was like, let's, let's, let's check out the Washington Monument, get up there. And we drove up to the Washington Monument Park, took pictures. And then while we were in there, like we went to the, to the National Mall where... Uh, the White House is. We went to the White House at 2 o'clock in the morning, James. You were immediately tackled by the Secret Service. What are you doing here at this hour? <laughs> the president is trying to sleep, sir. Obama's just sitting there on the front porch with, like, a cup of milk and footy pajamas. <laughs> Steve, what's going on? <laughs> Nothing, Mr. President. Go back to sleep. Okay. But, no, yeah, the the White House, it was deserted at 2 o'clock in the morning. Well, I say deserted. There was the three of us. There was a crazy man sleeping on the bench. And uh, there were literally about 26 security guards outside the White House uh, watching us, you know. <laughs> I mean, they didn't say anything to us. They didn't say, hey, we need some ID or move along. You know, we just was there. We drove around D.C. for a bit. Uh, there was, like, it was kind of surreal because, again, 2 o'clock in the morning, like, we saw, like, these bars and nightclubs and stuff letting people out. And these young people who I assume were, like, congressional staffers were just on the sidewalk, like, wasted. Uh, at one point, there was a car got beside us and tried to race us. And I was hoping <laughs> at, when we got to the next red light, the window would roll down. It'd be Joe Biden. <laughs> you got skills, kid. And then he peels out. Well, the funny thing is the entire time you were telling that story, I kept imagining each anonymous dude you brought up as Bernie Sanders. <laughs> like, he's just tearing D.C. apart. He was somewhere. Just staring at the White House with a little tear in his eye. We left D.C. And from D.C. went through Baltimore. And after Baltimore, we started hitting tolls. Oh, my God. Those tolls got on my nerves so much. You immediately lost all faith in capitalism. This is not what it was designed for. I suddenly realized that taxes are some bullshit. We had to go through, like, we so, like, most of them were, like, $4 a piece each time to go through a toll. There wasn't a lot. Like, the tolls were from Baltimore to Washington. And again, yeah, I think, like, that part of I nine I ninety five is like the one of the biggest corridors in America, like in terms of like traffic. And that part of the country is like one of the most populated. So it's definitely one of the most busiest stretches of freeway from Baltimore to New York. But uh we went through toll booths and then we hit the Jersey Turnpike. And um one thing I found out that kinda was odd and I was talking to one of our mutual friends who lives in New Jersey about it, but it is a state law in New Jersey that you can't pump your own gas. What? They have they had gas attendants at the gas stations, you know. And you pull up, say, hey, and they take your, your credit card. They sl- swipe it. They give it back to you with a receipt. Then they pump your gas. Like, it's just bizarre. And then I asked him about it because he, he's uh, a big, like, uh, conservative, like, libertarian about interference and stuff. I said, doesn't it bother you the government interferes in private industry? He's like, honestly, I just don't like pumping my own gas. So I was like, <laughs> Very Ron Swanson of him. Yeah. I will allow government interference whenever it pertains to things that I don't feel like doing. (laughs) 
But yeah, we went through the Turnpike, and then briefly went through a little bit of New York. Like, we could see New York City. Uh, we didn't actually go into New York City, unfortunately. We kind of skirted. We went to walk across the George Washington Bridge. That is such a missed opportunity. You could have occupied Wall Street. Caitlin, watch, and then you just throw yourself down on the ground. Sir, you have to leave. I'm protesting. This is Broadway. I know I'm protesting until I get my tickets to Hamilton. <laughs> If you could ever get people behind your cause, it would be trying to lower the tickets to Hamilton. <laughs> Seriously, have you looked that up? That's like fucking six hundred dollars. And there's like a for back row seats. Yes, that shit is un-American. But uh, one one of my problems with the road trip was Connecticut. You look at Connecticut on the map. Connecticut looks like it's about the size of a pea. I swear to God, we spent four hours going through Connecticut. It just felt like it was so long. Like I don't know if that. If the interstate doubles back, you just start over at the state line again and go back. But it just felt like we were going through it forever. Uh, I think I texted you and Alex. I had to <laughs> use the toilet at a gas station in Richmond. And I was having the time of my life. That really was the most Matt Johnson text any of us had ever received. It's like, wow, he's living the dream. But uh, I had a fantastic time. In Massachusetts, um, I saw historical sites. Not a whole lot. We went to, like I said, the John Adams house. Um, I got to go to a Catholic church, James. My first time going to a Catholic church uh, and a Catholic service. There's a lot of standing and chanting back at the priest. Question. At any point during the sermon, did you rise up and scream, Sacrilege! And then <laughs> spill the holy water everywhere? Then run out, flapping your arms like wings? Yeah! I, I just want to see one person have a satanic freak out during mass. It has to have happened at some point. No, but I felt like nailing a bunch of complaints to the front door of the church. But um, one thing that I noticed uh, that they have a lot of in Massachusetts were pizza places. So the one we went to was fantastic. I, I want to go back. The reason the plan wasn't to, to try to hit other places, but after eating that one piece place, I got to go back. And... I had a weird suspicion that I thought the pizza place in general, in particular, was a, a mob front, James. That was my boy detective senses team, because, let me lay out the evidence to you. <laughs> the bar area was filled with, like, horse racing and, like, Kino feeds and stuff like that. Uh, that was suspicious to me with them having, like, you know, that stuff going on. Which, and I was like, okay, well, it's a sports bar, you know, more of a sports bar, so that tends to happen. Uh, the Kino Gamma thing was odd, but I noticed going into other bars and places, they had Kino there too. It's sort of like how we do the lottery down here, but it's like going yeah. on all the time. Um, but the thing that really made me suspicious was this place didn't take credit or any sort of card. You had to use only cash. Hey, wait a minute. Yeah. They had like an ATM because I, I remember getting so out. It was like the end of August. And it took them a month for my bank to process the ATM fee. Because I saw like a, a $5 ATM fee. I'm like, what the hell? You know? I just, computers are going off at crime headquarters. Boop, 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 boop. Oh my god, somebody actually used this thing. One thing that I found out, like going to diners and stuff, uh, have you ever had home fries, James? No, I don't think so. I've heard of them, but I, see, because I think down here, we go with like hash browns instead of home fries when it comes to, like breakfast food. Hash browns yeah. seem to come with everything. Up there is home fries, and they are very delicious. They're just all they are really is diced potatoes that are cooked, that are roasted and you know seasoned. That's really that it. does sound amazing. Um, but yeah, they were they were rather delicious. Uh, one diner we went to was in this town, uh, Stoughton, Massachusetts. Uh, 
It was called Stanley's Diner, and it looked like if you ever seen like a diner in, in a movie or something, this was it. You know, they had the red leather booths, um, the uh, little bar stools that were covered in the the same red leather, um, and then there was like a little like mini play going on between the cook and the uh, and the waitresses and stuff with them snapping back and forth with each other. Uh, and then like some old lady was telling the old guy who was cooking, like, "Give my regards to the chef." And he's like, "I'll let you. I'll let him know." When he comes in and stuff like that, I was like, oh my god, am I in the sitcom? That's what it felt like. And then a Jewish man walked in and they told him he had to leave. It was so <laughs> quaint. And I also took the time because I'm a huge nerd. He went to a Dollar General up there to look around. To judge. Like, I just was looking at prices and stuff. I wanted to see if there was any difference, but nope, it was all the same. It reminds me of something I've heard uh, tourists say that... If they ever feel out of place and disoriented in another country, they just find the nearest McDonald's and spend a few minutes in there because every McDonald's is identical and it helps you center yourself. If you're in McDonald's, you're an American. Makes me wonder how Walmarts are overseas. Um, Are there Walmarts overseas? I believe so. You would know. You would know better than me, James. You missed a Walmart. Um. Now, could you imagine going to, like, Japan and them having a Walmart that's clean? <laughs> also, I assumed automated by robots. Um, so, uh, Saturday, we went into actual downtown Boston. Uh, that was fun. I never got to ride on the subway. I, again, I feel like it's such a rube or a hick. Like, I got to ride on the subway, James. A homeless man spit on me. There were a lot of homeless it people. It was an adventure. There was a lot of homeless people downtown. Uh-huh. And I was telling someone about it, I was like, they don't have homeless people in the South. I said, yeah, we do. It's just, with it being rural, it's a lot more spread out. People live in their cars and stuff. They don't live in the park, you know, downtown. Then you walked over to one of the homeless people and was like, are you aware that the reason you're on the streets is because of Ronald Reagan? You see, in the 1980s. <laughs> and then I went to a comic book shop. Uh, so one of uh, Caitlin's friends who was there with us, uh, he's a big comic book fan. He likes comic books and stuff. He doesn't really like superheroes. He likes a lot of, like, third-party image stuff. I was like, you know, boy, is that right in my alley. And so I bought for him to see if he liked it. The first trade of Bitch Planet. So I felt like I chose wisely. Really? That's the best gift you could give to anyone. Um, And then, so apparently there was some sort of, like, uh, cosplay thing going on in downtown Boston. Because when we rode the train back out, out of the city, <laughs> there was a guy... Dressed up as Big Boss from Solid Snake on the train. And he he he, compli- he saw my tattoo and complimented me on it. And he started talking about comics with me because he, so the, he saw my bag from the comic book store. This, the one I went to was in downtown. And he worked at the one like outside of town. And he was complaining about it. We had a discussion about comics and stuff. And then he posed for like a photo with some guys on Snapchat doing his Big Boss thing. It was very surreal. Well, are you sure this was a cosplayer and not just a crazy military man? That's what, so that's what happened. So the reason I knew that there was a cosplay thing going on was obviously the way he was dressed. But there was a guy on the train that thanked him for his service. And he was like, <laughs> no, no, I'm a cosplayer. I'm not. He said, I've had like six people come up to me today alone. Just say, thank you for your service. I'm not in the military. But I know. Thank you for taking down the Metal Gear system. <laughs> Unfortunately, they shook his hand, contracted Fox die. But, uh. That's a 1997 reference for you guys. Yeah, I had a uh, fantastic time. I was only up there Friday through Tuesday. I left Tuesday. Met a lot of great people. Impressed a lot of great people, more importantly. Everybody loved me. So, I mean, it's me. So, you know. You're a barrel of laughs. Yeah. And of history. And I was surprised I left because when that 17 hour drive, this time driving back down, I was going to be completely by myself. Uh. 
having to deal with that, I didn't want to deal with it. But I, I had to eventually, so I hit the road and got going, and... It was hellacious driving back. I just, uh, New York City was beautiful. Like, I went through, I went through, like, New York City, New Jersey about midnight, and, uh, it looked beautiful, lit up. That was when I thought about, when I was by myself, I thought about taking the detour actually through New York City, but I was like, I don't want to get lost. You just park your car on Wall Street. Listen, just give me an auxiliary cord that works, and I'll leave you men be. <laughs> That's all I want. I'm a simple man. But, uh, went back through, uh, by the time I got, so, the way it's, break, it's broke down is you go through a bunch of states. Mostly once you hit Virginia, you start going through all these smaller mid-Atlantic New England states. But like going half the trip is just going through South Carolina, North Carolina, and Virginia. Which reminds me, okay, I got to back this up. I forgot totally about this. So when we were going up there, we stopped for dinner in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And one of the girls I was with, she has a guy she's friends with who is from who lives in Fayetteville. And Fayetteville has a lot of military personnel because Fort Bragg is in Fayetteville. And so we had dinner with this Asian man who was like a Army Special Forces guy. Just the nicest guy, you know, you could ever meet. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Are you sure he was Army Special Forces and not also a Big Boss cosplayer? <laughs> According to him, he was. I, I will take his word for it. Uh, he was learning Arabic to do. I, I, again, he he was he. he I feel like maybe he could have been lying because you know he could have just been you know a guy who cleaned latrines. Um, but uh, he was he was taking classes to learn Arabic to be like a translator for some somebody in special forces. He wasn't sure what supposedly, but um, I forgot all about that. But yeah, because it was and I felt bad for the guy because he was nice, he was sweet, and then the the girl who who we were who I was with uh, wouldn't date him because he was too short. And he was like maybe a couple inches shorter than me, and I'm like five eight. Only good day, I'm five eight. Wow, it must be nice to be able to be that picky. I guess. I I feel like I feel like if height plays a significant role in your romantic choices, then uh, you do not exactly have slim pickings there. I guess it was just I I saw her complaining like a month or so later about how she couldn't find the guy. I was like, this is a pretty sweet guy, you know, up in North Carolina. That's all I'm saying. Like, oh, this Fabergé egg isn't the right color. Throw it away. But yeah, like I said, half the trip is going from, you know, South Carolina, North Carolina, and Virginia. Um, and it's, because at least when you're, like, up up on the northern side, like, you know, there's sites. Like, hey, look, there's Baltimore. Eh, there's New Jersey. You know, there's the Woodrow Wilson Turnpike. I'm like, yeah. I would have stopped and took pictures, but it was, like, the middle of the night. So once you get, like, south of... uh Washington, D.C., there's nothing. It's just rural stuff. Like, I, in Richmond, I went past, like, the headquarters of uh, Philip Morris, and they have a giant water tower done up as a Marlboro cigarette. Ew. And that was about the last land, landmark I saw until... So once you get to the border between North and South Carolina, there's this horrible tourist trap called South of the Border, and it's, like, this filled with all kinds of, like, you know, stereotypical Mexican stuff. It's just, you know, it's it, was so, it looked so nasty, and... Dirty, it just like we we stopped and I like I got gas there. We stayed for like twenty minutes. I'm like, okay, this place is horrible. Let's leave. Wow, this isn't wacky racism like back at home. This is just it's, sad. It's it's trying to be wacky. Uh, their big landmark is a big guy in a sombrero called Pedro. Ew. They took some photos of with Pedro. I was like, no, I will not condone this. See, what you need to do is steal Pedro, strap him to the hood of your car. Then crash the car into the giant Philip Morris cigarette <laughs> and do it all in the name of Lower Hamilton tickets. That's right. 
but yeah, once I got like in that the southern part of the trip where it's you know nothing, I started having trouble staying awake because at this point, so like I'd gotten up that morning about seven eight o'clock, and I already felt like I needed a nap before I even hit the road, and then I hit the road at six. I was up for twenty eight hours, I think. Uh, most of that was spent driving. I kept nodding off, like, I bought, like, a monster energy drink, like, in Virginia, and then I had to stop again in North Carolina for another one. And then I, what I ended up doing was, coincidentally, I, on, on my phone, I started playing the soundtrack to Hamilton, and that helped me get through uh, the worst of my stuff. That was your protest jam. But, uh, I made it back unscathed. I, like I said, I had a great time. It was the furthest I've ever been from home, furthest I've ever been any place by myself, even though I was with people. So, yeah, my time up there was enough to maybe convince me that it could potentially be a place that would be nice to not just visit, but maybe even stay, you know. What? Bum, 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 bum. Next time on Below the Bible Belt. Below the Bible Belt, question mark? Ah, uh, but now that we're more or less up to speed with what the two of us have been doing the past few months, I felt it very appropriate to update our viewers on some events that have been happening in the greater Below the Bible Belt universe. South at large. This is our all-follow-up edition of It Came from the South. It Came from the South. And first up is a very small news story. That comes from a year ago, October 9th, 2015. James, do you remember where you were October 9th, 2015? Oh, the memories. Actually, I remember where I was October 9th, 2015, James. That was the day I went to the Drive-By Truckers concert. <laughs> so this has a particular significance to you. Exactly. While I was rocking out and looking at Woodrow Wilson's boring-ass house, this was good. <laughs> hey, you told... The Wilson Foundation, that letter that you had a amazing time. I did. I think maybe, if anything, undo, like, maybe that's why they never got back to me. Like, this guy's obviously lying. Just look at the way he starts this letter. <laughs> Saying he had an amazing time. What a liar. But, uh, I cannot believe this, like, went past both of us when this happened. Because I should have this guy just on Google Alerts at this point. On October 9th, 2015, Judge Herman Thomas appealed to have his license restated. Oh, no. He's been out there for a year now, James. For those of you who are long-time listeners, you remember Judge Herman Thomas as the paddling judge of Alabama. Did you say judge? Something like you said judge. Did you become Medea for a second there? Earth. <laughs> who was disbarred in early 2010 after it was revealed that his uh, favorite brand of punishment for the criminals of Alabama was to paddle their bare asses. It was kind of a thing. He kind of got off on it, right? Is that, was, did they ever say that, you know? Well, he was disbarred. I, I don't think he received any jail time due to the expert legal skills of one cowboy Bob Clark. Mm -hmm. But nearly this time last year, Thomas appealed to be reinstated and have his legal license put back into effect. Uh, he didn't get it. Thank God. God, could you imagine Cowboy Bob showing up at that event? <laughs> Your Honor, my client here has suffered enough. He cannot even walk past a swimming pool where a young man, or possibly a young woman, or an older man or woman is even doing a doggy paddle. 
Have you ever thought about what it would look like if a dog did a doggy paddle? I don't think I've ever seen that. Your Honor, what is the etymology of the phrase a doggy paddle? If you don't even know the simple backstory to a phrase many of us use every day, then who are you to say that Judge Herman Thomas cannot hold the law into his own hands? And he was never allowed back in that swimming pool. Um, so he, I will say that I think him getting his license back would not be the same as him being back on the bench as a judge. He could have been a paddling lawyer. Which is more terrifying because he's beholden to less rules. I should say, I don't know if we mentioned this in the original episode or not, but Thomas did run for state senate after being disbarred. He also did not win. I, I just want to say my, my favorite part of this article is at the very end, it just casually uh, states, Thomas has since continued his involvement with 100 black men of Mobile. I've paddled them all. But going into more recent news, and this is uh, national news here. Chief Justice of the Alabama Supreme Court, Roy Rudy Ray Moore, as he's come to be known, who 10 months ago defied a federal ruling by ordering the judges of Alabama to refuse marriage licenses to gay couples, has now been forced to step down for being a bigoted douche canoe. I believe that was the uh, official press release. Well, that's what if Ruth Bader Ginsburg were in charge. That's what she would have done. Speaking of bigoted douche canoes... And I don't really know about the uh, bigoted part, but he's an Alabama politician, so I'm just going to assume. Alabama House Speaker Mike Hubbard, who you remember we covered in our big conspiracy episode, who was accused of using his position as House Speaker to jerry-rig the system for his business partners. On June 10th, he was convicted of 12 felony ethics charges and sentenced to four years in federal prison. And just yesterday, his appeal for a retrial was denied. So they brought the hammer of justice down on that motherfucker hard. And the Alabama Republican Party will never be the same. Here's what I want to know. How are things going with Big Luther Strange? Well, that's the funny thing. Luther Strange has come out of this just smelling like a rose somehow. Because not only did he recuse himself from participating at all in the Mike Hubbard trial, but he's refused to comment on pretty much anything. Like, like the impression I get from digging through a lot of this stuff is that everyone in Alabama politics is scared shitless of Big Luther Strange. I mean, he is a supervillain. I mean, we'll get into this in a minute, but there have been some more Robert Bentley phone conversations that have been released from that whole scandal. And in one of them, when they're talking about the affair, Bentley's just saying, no, we, we don't need to get Luther in on this. No, Luther doesn't need to know. Please don't tell Luther. Now, I'm curious, Matt. Do you remember Jimmy Rain from that episode? Maybe. I don't know. I'll be honest with you. As much as I love, like, twisting com- complex uh, political conspiracies, uh, that one was a little too twisty for me. <laughs> well, you may remember Jimmy Rain if you saw a photo of him as unskippable YouTube ad cowboy, the yellow fella. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember you talking about him. Yeah, yeah, the yellow fella. He's the CEO of Great Southern Wood, and since our last episode, has become officially the richest man in Alabama, netting over $700 million a year, a significant portion of that money going to his charity, the Jimmy Rain Foundation. Or at least that's the story provided by 
I swear to God, this is real. Yellowhammer News, <laughs> the privately owned news site that provides PR for Alabama's conservative elite. Um, just to back it up a little bit, I wish I could like start like the Matt Johnson Foundation, where it's just you know a charity that they give to me. Just every year they hold fundraisers for the next year of Matt. Exactly. Look at him. We don't know if we're gonna have another year of this this madness. We need to keep it going, folks. I just have a telethon. You just stand up there surrounded by photos of yourself and sing when you're smiling while crying. <laughs> I, I just love me so much. It's kind of hilarious to look at that and see just the fall of Mike Hubbard. And on the flip side of this, one of the corporate douchebags at Hubbard's going down for trying to help just fucking taking over Alabama <laughs> while wearing a supervillain costume. Ah, forget it, Jake. It's yellow wood. <laughs> That's what this is starting to feel like. On the plus side, the former ALEA head, Spencer Collier, who you may remember made Bentley's affair public after being fired for not playing along with Bentley's attempt to derail the Mike Hubbard corruption trial, has just today been found not guilty of the wrongdoing the governor had accused him of. And I'm just going to read a section of this article because... I love the way this is phrased. Details about the Collier accusations became public recently after Governor Robert Bentley termed over an internal ALEA investigation of Collier to the committee considering Bentley's impeachment. The document questioned spending by Collier on clothing, guns, and sunglasses and painted a picture of a man on the edge of the law. That is the most Alabama purchases I've ever heard. I just love the idea of fucking Spencer Collier, fucking rogue ALEA bureaucrat. On the edge. He's a lone wolf who plays by his own set of rules. Damn it, Collier. These forms weren't signed in triplicate. You only signed them twice. You gotta do it again. I do what I want. I set my own rules. And then he puts on sunglasses that are tax dollars paid for. <laughs> and speaking of Governor Robert Bentley... The man who destroyed a dynasty with creepy phone conversations. In the most recent tapes that have been released that were recorded before the whole affair scandal broke, Bentley blames everyone from his jealous wife to Big Casino for <laughs> spreading rumors about his affair that were entirely unfounded. I feel like Big Casino is like Big Luther Strange's like adversary. You're not far off. See, Bentley's whole thing is being an anti-gambling politician. Uh -huh. And Alabama politics have been kind of torn apart by whether or not to legalize gambling for as long as I've been alive. But does Alabama have, like, a state lottery? That's uh, part of the issue, is whether or not to approve of a state lottery. Well, I remember, so when I was a kid, uh, they approved a state lottery here in South Carolina, and it was like a, a tetuous issue between the, the Bible thumpers who saw it as gambling, you know, and people who just want to try to make money for the state, you know. It's always really baffled me because at the end of the day, I don't think anyone spending money on lottery tickets is in a position to put that money to much good use. If you're spending your money on lottery tickets, you've made a very clear choice in your life. But when you argue that not having a lottery takes away that choice. What would, they, what would they spend it on if they didn't have the lottery, though? What drugs. You, drugs. Nah, I'd say most people I see play the lottery do cigarettes. That's what I feel. <laughs> well, the two go hand in hand. Well, I, I see it as stupid people management. Mm -hmm. 
Like, they're going to spend their money on stupid and destructive shit anyway, so let's just put this easy thing in front of them. But uh, he claims on the tapes that the shadowy higher powers that want casino gambling in Alabama are trying to discredit him to f- prevent him from forming an alliance with the Porch Creek Indians who have their own casinos on their tribal lands. Yeah. Uh, and Matt, can you imagine if this was true? <laughs> oh, no. I feel like this would be like the the greatest like walking tall sequel we've ever seen because I'm, I'm I'm just imagining like you know big casino is represented by like some shadowy guy from Mississippi from the riverboats in Mississippi like we want to expand our empire into Alabama Luther Strange and his Native American tracker friend <laughs> <laughs> now boy I told you this land's for the people hasn't the white man done enough to them I'm sorry Mr Strange but I'm afraid Mr Hughes has other plans. Cut to Howard Hughes kept alive in a, a fucking sub-zero exoskeleton like he's Mr. Freeze. Girl, um. <laughs> like, he builds up Big Casino like it is the mob. Like, he even says, they don't care whose lives they ruin. They're going to get what they want. And I just want to remind you, all that was said, and then a couple of weeks later, all of this broke. <laughs> So do you think he was calling up his uh, Porch Creek casino friends <laughs> like after Collier came forward with the affair? Like, guys, just look, I don't know the appropriate way to say this, but can you uh, ask the great spirit for help? Hello? Hello? I went up against the casino man for you. But Matt, we have an even more recent development in this story because... In a statement last week, the shamed governor emerged from the fallout shelter I guess he's living in <laughs> and declared once and for all that even he had some standards left. That's right, Matt. Robert Bentley is not voting for Donald Trump. Huh. That's an interesting thing to think is, you know, I just figure it's PR, right? That's what it's got to be. He's trying to make himself seem better. I don't know. According to Robert Bentley, his breaking point with Trump was, I swear to God, the audio recording of him saying disgusting things about women. Huh. For you to get the full experience of this press conference, I will once again quote Governor Robert Bentley verbatim. It's time for another Alabama politician poetry jam. I said, you know, you know, they're going to mock me, and they're going to make fun of me, because honestly, I said something a few years ago I shouldn't have said. All right, and I admit that, but there's no comparison between me and Trump. I don't have a pattern of being derogatory and degrading women. I don't have a pattern ever of degrading those who are disabled, those who have cerebral palsy, those who are not of the same color that I am. I just don't have that attitude, and I don't think the leader of this country ought to have that attitude. Looking at what we really want for the America that we love, anger and bitterness and resentment and putting other people down, and not respecting other individuals because of their differences. That's not, that's not America. Dig.
sounds to me like someone's gearing up for 2020. Hell yeah. Well, here's the funny thing. Despite all of this, Robert Bentley is still governor. There's a movement to impeach him, but I believe we talked about this in the uh, last episode. We still don't know if we can impeach a governor. <laughs> That's right. Actually, that reminded me. I was thinking about this whole thing this past summer because uh, one of my classes this past summer was uh, political science, and it was about state and local government. And we talked about state constitutions, and the Alabama Constitution was, was specifically cited because it is uh, 40 times longer than the U.S. Constitution. Uh, and it's like the longest constitution in the world that's actually in effect. And it's because, like, um, the the rules for, like, uh, amendments and stuff are, like, very lax and loose. It's just very, it's just a confusing mess is what, you know, uh, we pretty much had to talk about in uh, political science class. Well, we're not a real state, Matt. <laughs> Alabama is just a shared delusion that we all sort of shrug our shoulders and go along with. Uh, yeah, we have laws, totally. I'm pretty sure our Constitution is tattooed on a snakeskin. I think the reason that the Constitution is so frantic is because all these amendments were put in, like, uh, to sort of mess with, and this is going to shock you, James, people trying to have a centralized government to enforce things like civil rights. No. Not Alabama. I just love how, in, like, for lack of a better term, liberal proof, Alabama's government is. It's like a fucking cat's cradle designed to intricately block out any type of progress whatsoever. We're incapable of passing new laws because we don't know what the current laws are. What is a law? I'm on fire. So there's this uh, program called School Health Rock. You guys need to check that out sometime. Oh, God. Could you imagine the Alabama version of I'm Just a Bill? I'm just a bill. I want to be a constitutional amendment, but I have to be unanimously approved by the state legislature. If I'm not, it goes to a statewide ordinance vote, and then if it's not appealed by the group of the state as a whole, I get shot down. Even though sometimes certain countywide referendums get passed and become amendments that exclusively apply just to that county, that didn't rhyme at all. He's just shouting at the little boy's face. He's crying. Oh, God, here's the Constitution, run! This Frankenstein monster bursts in like the Kool-Aid man. Where does it begin? Where does it end? But, uh, that's what the Below the Bible Belt cinematic universe has been up to lately. But I think it's time that we stop looking at the past. And with this third season premiere of Below the Bible Belt, take a look instead into the future. The future, James? That's right, special guest Alex Cook. All the way to episode 2000. In episode 2000. In episode 2000. PJ will finally fulfill his dream of breaking our electoral system by making himself the winning write-in candidate of the 2020 election. His first and only statement as President of these United States, issued mere hours before all 50 states simultaneously secede, will be Fuck Yo Democracy. In episode 2000... 
Sick of the endless jokes about his tiny tendons, James will have his legs surgically lengthened to make his tendons twice as long as any mortal man. Upon seeing this, I will then pull out a gun and shoot him in the fucking face. In episode 2000... Cowboy Bob will be called out of a 20-year retirement to clean up the streets of Alabama after a plague of horseman hybrids terrorized the state. The sweet tea dribbling down his chest will be like a baptism. In episode 2000... Feeling listless and adrift in the adult world, Cody Alft will return to the derp house of his college years, looking to find a piece of himself he had maybe left behind. Approaching the door, however, he will see through the window another identical Cody Alft having dinner with friends and promptly run away screaming. In episode 2000... Judge Herman Thomas, after finally accepting that he will never practice law again, will use his natural paddling skills to join an Olympic class rowing team. He will then be banned for life from the sport due to a sex scandal too perverse to describe here. In episode 2000... After years of extensive, painstaking research, scientists working on behalf of the Matt Johnson Foundation for Scientific Betterment through the collection of facts will finally determine, once and for all, what exactly grits are made of. As per Matt's wishes, the answer will be revealed through a series of BuzzFeed Top 20 lists, burying it forever. In episode 2000... After spending years battling every challenger who stood in his way, Matt's dad will finally earn the title of the world's strongest. Just then, Krillin will arrive to tell him that the evil Dr. Koshin has collected the Dragon Balls to resurrect his mentor, Dr. Wheelow, in an effort to take over the world. Dr. Wheelow, his body having been destroyed by the avalanche that killed him 50 years before, will desire the body of the strongest fighter in the world as his new vessel, and properly abduct PJ, giving him an ultimatum, his body in exchange for his son. He will arrive at Dr. Wheelow's lab with Matt in tow, and be greeted by Misokatsun, Kashimi, and Ibifuraya, Dr. Cochin's three bio-warriors. Matt's dad will defeat Misokatsun by bursting through him with the Kaoken, only to be sealed up in ice by Ibifuraya. Krillin will arrive to back him up, but he and Matt will be powerless against Kishimi. Once again, using his trusty Kaioken, Matt's dad will break free from his ice prison and defeat the two remaining bio-warriors. But just then, a brainwashed Matt Fuss will emerge, and a battle between the two rivals shall commence. Being unable to stop them from fighting, Matt will explode with rage, shattering Dr. Wheelow's brainwashing device and freeing Fuss. The true battle will then begin, with Dr. Wheelow and his robot body having the upper hand. Even the three-person Kamehameha of Matt, his dad, and Krillin will have no effect on him. With the help of a now-freed PJ, Matt's dad will then form the Spirit Bomb, blasting Wheelow and his devious brain into outer space. Yet again, the world will be safe. But for how long? In episode 2000... Mersey will inherit her family's now profitable Alaskan gold mine, making her wealthy beyond her wildest imagination. She will refuse to alter a single aspect of her life. In episode 2000... And finally, 
With 2,000 episodes completed, Below the Bible Belt finally closes up shop, and her hosts settle down for some much-needed rest. Before beginning their new 2,000 episode series, Matt Johnson's America. Yeah, baby, hail to the chief. Hail to the chief. Hail to the chief. In episode 2,000. In episode 2,000. And until the South rises again, I've been James. I've been Matt. And you've just been Below the Bible Belt. This has been a Pulp Podcast production. As we all know, Superman arrived on Earth in a space rocket long ago, when he was Super Baby. The Man of Steel has always thought he was the sole survivor of the tragic catastrophe that destroyed his home world, Krypton. But fate has many strange twists. For this is not an ordinary tale of Superman, but the launching of a new member of our Super Family. So... Without further ado, we take pride in introducing... Great guns! I seem to see a youngster, flying, dressed in a super costume. It must be an illusion. Look again, Superman! It's me, Supergirl! And I'm real! The Supergirl Power Hour. A monthly look at the Maid of Might. There are a lot of issues that plague the <laughs> Greetings and salutations, kiddos. It's me, your old goblin in crime, Roderick Kingsley. Here with a special message for you, my adoring public. You may have noticed lately in my many, many appearances that I've had a bit of a spring in my pointy-booted step. No, boys and girls, the secret to my success is no wonder drug or mere miracle diet, but an elixir of the spirit. And, like a Halloween-themed Jehovah's Witness, I'm here to spread the good news like a bombardment of pumpkin bombs. The good news of graphic novelism. But, Uncle Hobgoblin, you ask, what is a graphic novelism? Don't interrupt me, you little shit! But yes, the tenets of graphic novelism are quite simple. A love for the comic book form in all of its forms. A rejection of the complacency that keeps it from reaching further heights. And... Most importantly, a refusal to fall into the dark pool of negativity that has strangled the life out of this culture for too long. Since becoming a devout graphic novelist, I've rebuilt my goblin game from the ground up, soaring high above my fears and insecurities, as though they were the skyline of New York City. And all you have to do to walk this path is look deep within yourself. And send your credit card number care of Roddy the OG Hobby at gobmail.com. Or if you want to be a total Norman about it, just listen to the Graphic Novelism Podcast, where Alex Cook, James Lewis, and Mike Napier preach their love for the medium and warn against those that may do it harm. 
Remember, ladies and gents, if you want to be the hobgoblin of whatever it is that you do, listen to graphic novelism. Subscribe to it on iTunes and The Stitcher. Leave a rating and a comment. Give Hobgoblin all of your money. And for God's sake, kill Spider-Man! Another episode. That was just a little taste of graphic novelism. <laughs> May I ask what you hope to achieve with this podcast? Those directors created these movies. They filled them with subtext, motifs, messages. They deserve to be discussed. The answer is irrelevant. Movies are simply entertainment, nothing more. Does it matter what they mean? Yes. Yes, it does. I don't understand. Well, Cody, I guess that's because I'm a human being. And you're a robot. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's quite all right. Box office pulp. Big things have small beginnings. Hands up! So did Mike and MB post the wayward commentary to the internet. And having no further concern, the boys sought podcasting adventure in the West. Many wars and feuds did they chat about. Honor and fear were heed upon their name. In time, they became internet kings by their own hand. This story shall also be told. Pulp Nightmare, a podcast undreamed of. Thing will come to order. The Legion of Pulp is now in session. In a moment, iTunes. Yes, Quizmotron. I was wondering, Emperor Palpatine, if I could perhaps. Box Office Pulp thinks we need a few items to pawn on the black market. Box Office Pulp guy, you have a podcast dedicated to movie analysis. Pinhead, your pleasure puzzles are deadly. Isaac, you've. You've got corn! Corn? What more do you need? How about a nuclear warhead? What? All other supervillains have them. With a nuclear warhead, I should leave all other podcasts to tear themselves apart with paranoia. Box office Pope wants a magic lasso to hang himself with. Can I get a ship in a bottle kit? I demand more corn. To make my own ship in a bottle. Oh, enough of this. The hell do I look like, Santa Claus? We're wasting valuable time. Right now, my Pope drones are rewriting Apple's code to make our podcast number one on iTunes. Excuse me, Emperor. Quizmotron, what is it? All Quizmotron wants is pants. A decent pair of pants. 
Darth Vader wants pants too. Order! Order! Tune in next week at hopepodcastnetwork.wordpress.com. I don't even know how I deal with any of you on a daily basis.